service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I was just talking to someone. Uh, Other than me? What the fuck? Who mentioned that it took them a long time to get into Greatest Gen because of that line. They actually counted it as a turnoff. Mm. They were like... There are so many people out there who who are like reluctant nerds that uh, I wasn't sure if the show was for me, but I'm glad I stuck it out because I know that it is. And uh, in that conversation, what I told this person was that it's not that we are embarrassed about being Star Trek fans. It's about at one time having real careers <laughs> and then pivoting into having a Star Trek podcast. Yeah. I mean, there was a time there where we were unpaid Star Trek podcasters, and the worst kind. That was, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it, I, I don't like. That's not to throw shade on anybody who's doing a podcast that they're not making a living from, because not that's most yeah. most podcasters. But right, we're very fortunate in that respect. But yeah. uh, to like try and be a serious freelancer, but also have part of my Twitter profile be that I have a Star Trek podcast was weird. You know, when I'm like, when I'm trying to solicit work from a major international foundation <laughs> so that I can shoot video for them in, uh, you know, about some project they're doing in Nigeria, I don't want them to be like, oh, let's look into this guy. Wait, what? <laughs> it reminded me of... It just reminded me again how, you know, just because you say something a certain way doesn't mean it's being received in the way that you intend it. I thought that was a good reminder. I Are, was like, I was momentarily hurt by it. I was like, oh no, really? Like I, I, uh, I always felt like our show was a place for uh, every kind of nerd. Yeah. I didn't think that we were broadcasting anything besides that. So that was an interesting take. Yeah. Like I'd say... A big percentage of our one-star reviews are people that are mad at us about specifically the use of the word embarrassment. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, we're not going to change. <laughs> no, it's it's about us. That or, that or anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's always been true to us, and it's been it's it's like evolved with us, you know. That is one thing about that sort of review that uh like i don't even take it that hard or seriously like if a if a review of us is that we're not doing this the way you would then cool yeah. like we're not <laughs> yeah yeah i think that the uh that is like the fallacy of the user review mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and with friendly fire like Almost every one-star review is somebody listened to a rev uh, like one of our episodes about a movie they love and disagreed with our opinion of it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, so our whole show got one star because your one movie got criticized somewhat? <laughs> I think this is the foundation for a lot of what makes up the the pop culture criticism industrial complex 
Right, which of, is, of which we are a tiny little part. Sure, but I, I don't think I've ever been upset at someone liking something I disliked or disliking something that I did. Like, I just, I don't care about things like that. I'm not wired like that. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems strange when people get so angry about that stuff. Like, uh, I think... I think that's what makes these conversations fun. Like, I was watching. T- like, tell me why you like the thing that I don't. That would be nothing is more fun to me than that yes. conversation with you. Yes, yeah, sell Battlestar Galactica to me because I tried to watch it and I did not care for it. I would say uh, that <laughs> getting us to watch or consider anything critically works, except Babylon Five, <laughs> which we will never consider watching <laughs> or doing a show about. So don't even try. Yeah, I. <laughs> I'll tell you that, like, one of the harshest... Bruce Boxmaster just sits in the corner crying, (laughs) wanting his greatest gen due. One of the harshest criticisms I've gotten recently was I was uh, sitting on the couch with my wife the other night, and we put on an episode of Cheers, and we were singing along to the theme song, and I said, oh, I just did a a parody of this song on my Star Trek podcast, and she said, you did? And I, uh, I, I, I pulled it up and played it for her, and she's like, "Those rhymes are terrible." <laughs> I was like, "People wow. liked my my Cheers parody. I got a lot of co- positive comments about it on Twitter." <laughs> I don't think liking song parodies was was a element of your vows, as I remember. Yeah, I had to go check our ketubah, which is hanging on the wall in our hallway. Make sure. <laughs> Make sure she wasn't breaking our covenant with the Almighty. <laughs> I don't. You must live in a great big place because I don't have room for a ketubah in my house. <laughs> well, it's not like it's not like sousaphone style. It's like it's like the you know the reasonable one that you don't see in a marching band. I was not so long ago camping at a music festival, Ben, uh-huh. and uh, not twenty yards away were the campers that made up a marching band. One of whom played a sousaphone and played, that, played and practiced that sousaphone most of one of the afternoons. <laughs> I yelled out at the guy, like people were yelling requests and he was occasionally taking them. And I yelled out, curb your enthusiasm theme. God. Which I feel like legally, if you play... A trombone or a sousaphone, you should know how to play that. And and he I, did not. I am predicting that you were just making Larry David face the entire weekend. <laughs> I Whenever I'm at a music festival and I'm forced to camp at one, it's permanent Larry David face. Absolutely. Back in the day when I was making lots and lots of internet videos for my job, I had like a subscription to a needle drop music library and... My editor was going through it looking for something to put against a video that we were working on, and he found the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. That's great. It was just a fucking, like, you could you could license the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme for, like, 325 bucks for your web video. It always made me satisfied when I would when I would watch TV and a commercial would use a piece of music that I had purchased for another project, like it made me feel like my taste was yeah. was good and yeah. modern. A friend of mine at like a, at like an ad agency was one time like, I, I think my highest aspiration is to become a music director for, mm. for, you know, television and film and commercials. Yeah. And 
like I had spent so many just soul crushing hours sifting through that kind of music that like, like when you find the curb your enthusiasm theme, it like gives you a a reason to live because you're like, holy shit, that just came from this. Yeah. Like they didn't have that. Somebody composed that or anything. It's amazing. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Yeah. 300 bucks. Out the it could door. Be yours. I should have. I should have just gotten a general license for it for like a thousand dollars and used it on everything for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I love working with Ben. I love his vision. <laughs> uh, cost of doing business with him not extremely high, but God, it is the same song with him. Yeah. As the soundtrack every time. It's a oh here's a a fashion show recap video. Here's a wedding video. Here's a video about kids with pneumonia in Africa. <laughs> All the same curb your enthusiasm theme. <laughs> I love that, you know, of the handful of curb themes that there are, there's like act break curb themes Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's one i'm thinking of specifically for all of those (laughs) (laughs) uh so fun i love that show it's coming back i saw yeah i'm uh we need him now more than ever don't we we fucking do man Mm. i (laughs) i feel like every time you and i have ever had a disagreement about anything what what we needed to do was just Stare it into each other's eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Every time you've metaphorically asked me to watch your laptop in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I cannot believe that we are about to do an episode about season five of Deep Space Nine. I know. It seems like forever ago that we started the Deep Space Nine part of Greatest Gen, and here we are yeah. with uh, just a year and a half left to go, yeah, wow. <laughs> which, which in itself is crazy to think. Three seasons left. Wild. Wild. We're here. So let's get into it, shall we? It's Deep Space Nine Season 5, Episode 1. In what I think is a terribly titled Apocalypse Rising. <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. There was a, a lot of talk about how they did not want to end season four with a cliffhanger. They wanted to sort of like rinse and start all over for season five. And so instead of getting a cliffhanger, what we're given is a conversation constructed for the sake of exposition at Ops. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We do get a little recap of the last episode. As if it were a cliffhanger, yeah, which is weird, right? Like if you're if your producers have legislated not doing a cliffhanger and you're given all of the ingredients of a cliffhanger, what is the difference? Right. It's I think it is they are making the argument for this is a TV show with a story that is continuous from episode to episode and they are probably dealing with executives that conceive of television as a world where somebody who skipped season four needs to be able to just come back in and understand what's going on yeah yeah and this is a very different show at the beginning of season five from what it was at the end of season three you know we can talk about this more during review time 
But do you really get it up <laughs> for the Klingon war as it's being portrayed here in Deep Space Nine? Because I think we are, in terms of story arc, we are in the last quarter of it. And it is a major thing. Like, it's a major through line in Deep Space Nine. Right. But I care for it less than I do uh, anything having to do with the founders. Right. Yeah, this definitely feels like they're trying to write an episode that uh, moves it to the side so that they can focus on something else. Right. Um, but uh, I like that uh, the episode really starts with Worf shitting bricks because Dax and Cisco are coming back from a conference in a runabout, and he knows how fraught uh, a situation that can be. Yeah. They're a few hours late. And that's not a good look. They should have been back hours ago. There may be some recency bias here, but a runabout has returned not too long ago with damage that looks a lot like the damage here. <laughs> so much so that like if Bashir were at ops, like he's gotta be asking for someone to be beamed inside someone else's body <laughs> on the inside of that runabout, right? Yeah. Definitely. It's it's answering some questions that we had at the end of the last episode. Like, are we going to see the six months later at the beginning at the beginning of season five, or are we going to be seeing like a couple days later? And this is a couple days later. Right. Kira is still pregnant. Not a lot has changed since the end of the last episode. We do some of that vignetting to catch us up with our characters on the station. One of these locations is Quark's. And uh, it sure looks like he's been made whole, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the poster is still on the wall right. about his... Uh, about his exile from Ferenginar economic culture. But, uh, I mean, he's still wearing the coats he used to. The Everything he used to have in his bar is back. Right, yeah, Quark's bar is in full swing. He's trying to pitch Cisco on participating in happy hour. Do I look happy, Quark? But Cisco's there to see Odo. That's one depressed exchange link. <laughs> who, I would say, has undergone the most dramatic change since... The last episode in that he has become a beer nerd. <laughs> so annoying. God. Just fucking shut Talking up about, about notes the and, and the window painting effect of the foam on the side of the glass. Like, fuck off. I'm glad that he's at least drinking a Pilsner or a lager because I do not want to hear another asshole talk about all the character of their IPA. <laughs> fuck out of here with that. I like IPAs. I'm I'm off IPAs. I've been off IPAs for years. I know, and and I agree that they got they got blown up too big, but that that doesn't mean all IPAs are bad. I don't know. I th I think they I think all IPAs are bad. I'm not going to equivocate. I'm just going to say that's my position, and it's fine if you like them. I do not, and don't even think about filling a hoof of IPA and giving that hoof to me, Ben. I'm going to leave it in an elevator. I mean, you're a guy that thinks sandwiches are good, so I'll, yeah. I'll take that with a grain of salt. Let me just sit here and enjoy the one thing that makes me a little bit happy. This fresh, delicious, tasty, meaty, turkey-filled, cold-cut combo. I eat three every day to help keep me strong. Odo is kind of shrooming out a little bit here <laughs> on his beer. I mean, not to bring up this music festival again, Ben, but we went to see Mark Lanigan do a show, and he is someone uh, that does a that does a dirge-like selection of songs. 
uh, on on his tour, and it's like dark and good and uh, and thoughtful. And the people right next to us were were actually drinking mushroom tea and tripping out and like giggling and laughing during four songs about dogs covered in blood. Jesus Christ! <laughs> like it was. <laughs> It was weird, and that's the sort of uh, anachronism that that we're getting here with Odo. Like he's a, uh, he's really into his beer. He's a little fucked up, but this is a introduction to a story we see a lot, almost to the degree that it's a trope. Cisco is recruiting Odo for a job, and Odo does not seem like he's up for the task. No, Odo has lost his sense of utility. Like he conceives of his usefulness and his identity as his ability to change shape. And Cisco is talking about taking him on a, a big mission, a, a mission behind enemy lines into the heart of Klingon power. Because uh, at, at the end of the last episode, Odo fingered Gowron as a changeling. I think Rene Abergenois is good at sharing this pathos with Cisco. But do you believe what he's saying in this scene? I had a hard time buying it because it's telling rather than showing, right? Like he's talking about how he used to live for the job and now he doesn't anymore. But I might have preferred seeing him get his ass kicked in a situation where shapeshifting would have made a difference, you know? Mm. Like what he's talking about is how dissatisfied he is working 23 out of 24 hours and preferring to stare into the foam of his beer instead. Like he's, he's putting it in terms that are more professional than they are existential. And it would be, it would be more meaningful if they were existential, right? I really disagree with that. I think that this whole episode is about that because he does change shape in this episode surgically Yeah, right. And I think that this is setting the table for an exploration of that rather than trying to be the entire exploration of that. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Not necessarily. So they have a McLaughlin crew. Issue one. And the mission is we are going to essentially go for a heist in Klingon Fort Knox. It is probably the most heavily fortified installation in the Empire. We're going to take these thermal detonators from Star Wars. We're going to go to the most hardened Klingon military site, dressed as Klingons. We're going to set these things up. We've got one shot at this, but we're going to turn them on and they're going to expose Gowron for the changeling he is. They they have some, uh, some radioactivity field that will cause a changeling to reveal itself for a moment. It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. And they have to do a lot of like techno techno babble about why this device couldn't be used all the time everywhere. And it's basically like a dose of radiation that's bad enough that if you did it twice, it would it would probably kill you. <laughs> if this device is a Pokeball, which Pokemon do you believe Gowron to most resemble? I'm going to go with Jigglypuff. <laughs> but I think you could also make the case for uh, for Gengar. Mm. What about Diglett? Yeah. Yeah, he does have... He does look a little bit like Diglett, huh? You got those beady eyes like Diglett. 
Tyranitar. <laughs> I'm up against my Pokemon knowledge. I never, I never did Pokemon. I didn't either. But these devices sure look like the Pokeballs to me. Mm. Golden Pokeballs. All I did when I saw this thing was go, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Job of the huts at this McLaughlin group. Camera swings around and he goes, <laughs> <laughs> They're analogous to a pattern enhancer, but they're they're much, much smaller. Yeah, and, and by you need saying four that, I'm instead saying, of three. Yeah, you get a box in your target inside the outer space made by these things. You never see these actually work, though. Yeah. They make such a big deal out of what happens, and you sort of, like, as a viewer, you're excited for the prospect. Like, what's it going to look like? The Chekhov's Pokeball (laughs) really never, never comes into play. I would have bet anything that we would have seen. Like, I thought what we were going to get was a Gowron being inside the square and then walking out at the last moment these things get turned on and they miss like, yeah that is that seems like a a star trek thing to have happened right but we don't, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves do we adam no but it, it's natural to guess it at what's going to happen during pl- the planning stages of a mission so everyone's complaining about this mission by the way like from jump the problem is like the the site that they're going to is way too hard to get to. Like if they go through go through the asteroid belt that surrounds it in the little D, there's a tachyon detector net that will most assuredly discover them. So that's a problem. And also just, you know, walking around within a, a Klingon military site is a problem. And Cisco's got both problems solved because Bashir is going to put some loaf on them, and then he's going to call in a favor from everybody's favorite captain of a of a bird of prey, Gul Dukat. Do you think Dr. Bashir was tempted to lobotomize the four of them in a way that he is wont to do from time to time? Just once they looked like Klingons, he was like, ooh, it would be so nice. <laughs> How many people would Bashir have to lobotomize in that way to command Deep Space Nine? Probably not too many more. No, yeah, you have to just, get Kira. Just Kira, and then he's and then he's the king. Yeah, boy, close call. Very impressive. They don't even bother to change Worf's loaf, which no. I think was a missed opportunity. But what do you think of the the uh, turtle shells on everyone else? I would say that I really felt bad for Rene Aubergenois because they probably were like. Hey, Renee, guess what? Next episode, you're not going to have to be an Odo loaf for the entire time. And he was like, oh, great. I'll be able to like eat normal food at Crafty. This is awesome. And then finds out that he's going to be in Klingon loaf the entire time. <laughs> the thing that I read about this episode is that uh, is that he was actually pretty okay with the makeup because it didn't cover his whole face the way that Odo Loaf does. Mm-hmm. Like he actually, I think from the eyes down is pretty, right, like that's pretty open. Mostly him. But, but it was Kalamini who like would not stop bitching about the makeup process or the loaf at all yeah. to the degree that the producers agreed that they would never do that to him again. He was just too much of a problem, <laughs> which I love. That's smart on his part. I'm not dunking on Kalamini. This is stuff Kalamini has said about himself. He's yeah. like, I was a huge prick about this. They talk about it in that uh, in that documentary, right? Right, yeah. Kalamini maybe looks best of all 
Yeah. He kind of looks like uh, he kind of looks like a Lord of the Rings dwarf as a Klingon. Which is of course ridiculous. It is so weird to hear his voice come out of that face. Yeah. That's the thing that that is really enduring about this episode. I think is just like hearing their voices, which are not masked at all, and then seeing those weird faces. I liked all the Cardassians in this episode who are the ones that live on a bird of prey and have like yeah. clipped a lot of Klingon shit onto their Cardassian uniforms. Yeah, Dukat's wearing a baldric. Yeah. Some other guy is wearing a, a belt. Yeah. Pretty they, great. They've all kind of incorporated a few Klingon elements into their gear in a, in a way that is really cool. Well, like Brian, for example, has 37 pieces of flair on today. Okay. There's a confused Cardassian that's just got like a pitcher like used for blood wine around his neck. <laughs> There's one that uh, has like clipped off a, a section of garden hose and is dangling it out of out, out of his uh, out of his fly just to have a second. <laughs> <laughs> He's like spinning it around his waist, like hula hooping it. <laughs> Look at me. I'm a Klingon. <laughs> this is great. This is a fun Ducat episode. He is a terror in it. Yeah. Like he he does some super fucked up things, but this is almost exactly where you want him as a character, as a chaos agent, but a chaos agent you need to depend on. It makes the story a lot more exciting. Right. He's chaotic evil that they temporarily have on their side and they spend a lot of time like dealing with that right like the like part of what they need to do is get their names entered into the like archery contest of <laughs> of the klingon military like they're kind of robin hooding their way in yeah and they keep like asking Ducat, like, hey, you like put our names in the, you know, like you hacked the mainframe and put our names on the list, right? And he's like, yes, I did. But like, it is so in character for them to be worried that he wouldn't because he can just take care of the problem of these characters here and now if he wants to. Right. Yeah. And that's the, <laughs> that's what makes things so dangerous, having to depend on someone who is so untrustworthy up until now. Yeah. Like, it wasn't long ago that Ducat was actively trying to kill these people. <laughs> I know. Like, it won't be long until he is again. Right. It is this yeah. brief moment that they have an opportunity for him to not try and kill them. I think some of my favorite scenes in this episode are the Klingon drama practice scenes, <laughs> where, where Worf is trying to give them Klingon lessons, and... The lessons do not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> it is really bad. Worf is like a high school drama teacher just trying to get these kids to pay attention to anything he's saying. And it is bad. They it, it sure seems like after a few of these scenes that they are going to be found out almost immediately. It's Cisco that is the best. Yeah. <laughs> he is relishing this. Yeah, he loves it. Um, and and Because like, he's I'm, the most dramatic, right? Right. I, I would say that, like, the chief seems like a supremely confrontational character, but in this context just doesn't like the vibe and doesn't, you know, he's never he's never going outside of himself that much. And that's, uh, uh, I, th I think, really well written, that it's really hard for him to kind of inhabit another way of being. Hmm. 
You know, it seems like a little bit of Kalamini shining through. Like that feels like actor wagging the character dog a little bit. Hmm. Like his discomfort seems like it may be Colum and not uh, O'Brien, you know? I don't know, because I feel like it's the same character thing that would have him be uneasy about trying the kind of food that Keiko likes in in TNG, you know? Because he just wants to eat, like, cabbage and beef. (laughs) Yeah, that's not going to go over well at the meeting they're headed to. (laughs) There's a brief scene between Dr. Bashir and Kira to kind of check in on the progress of her pregnancy that I found very flirty. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, I mean, because at this moment in time, the baby inside Nana Visitor is Alexander Siddig's. This is still your fault. My fault. Is it is it really or is it or is this yeah. a is this a did, wouldn't she have had the baby over the over the break? Or is this her actual pregnant belly and they were getting ready for it in the last season? I think it's the second thing. Wow. They really have a lot of fun in this in this scene, but it, it really came out of nowhere character wise, I thought. Yeah, there's uh like there's the difference between screen close when two two characters are talking to each other and like real life close the the closeness with which any two people would speak to each other and then there's intimate real life close which is how these two actors are talking to each other in this scene yeah it is a uh, very apparent but yeah. this is also intentional like uh like this is the first of many times that this show has uh has a stated interest in sprinkling in like doing that wink to the audience of of these two actors are together. These two actors have made this baby. Right. We have made a scene that has that kind of subtext. Well, and and I feel like that butted up against the the Klingon drama practice scene is especially interesting because a lot of what Worf is talking about is like how close you stand to somebody and how you like how you yeah. like the vibe you bring when you address them. I called you a dumb beetle. I heard you. It's really interesting to have seen all of the things that Worf is describing before, but out of context, and then getting, you know, a Klingon cultural description for all of these behaviors in right. this episode to sort of underscore the reasons why things are the way they are. I really dug it. I did too. Like, the, like how you punch someone says a lot about your intentions. Yeah, front of hand versus back of hand is like it is language in Klingon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both hands clasped together and then dropped onto the back of someone means something else. <laughs> means if you're Kirk, you want to fuck them. I mean, if you're Kirk, you always just want to fuck them, right? Goes without saying. Yeah. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Odo is uh, dealing with a lot of misgivings here. And, And this is the I'm not good at playing this part thing. And, you know, he, he, he invests all of his sense of skill as a mimic in his changeling ability. And Cisco is making the case for like you can do this even without that, right? Odo, Odo is like at a certain point even like trying to get out of the mission. I'm not a very convincing Klingon. 
he wants Cisco to see that he is going to be a danger to OPSEC and and the their ability to like see this thing through like one of the most dangerous missions they've gone on in the show. Yeah. And Cisco it's it almost feels like Cisco is kind of like brought Odo as like a management move like I'm going to like make this guy build his confidence back up by having him do a really hard job. One of the things this scene made me think of was the degree to which there are uh, like endorphins in play for Odo now that he's human. Like he's, he's a demonstrating so many glands he never had before. Like he's demonstrating a fear response that I kind of wanted the episode to interrogate a little bit more. Like, is this biological? Like, where is this coming from? Is this purely a, an, an interest in him totally divorced from what he might be feeling chemically because like we know he now contains everything that that a human being does and that includes glands and a brain and and guts like the whole deal is now Odo and it sure does make Odo's reluctance inside this mission as a choice instead of something that his body is forcing him to do and I kind of wish that there were there was a little bit more of a drill down about where this is coming from and I would prefer if it were coming from his body a little bit. And maybe if the tension was him trying to fight his body versus uh, his natural impulses as a professional security man yeah, or an ex gold, you know, like there's a tension there that's unexamined that I think is really interesting. I think that's a great point. There's 10 pounds of episode in this five pound bag. Yeah. That I feel like, leaves this unexamined and I really hope that they can dig into that more in this season. Right. Do you know, I mean, I'm reluctant to even ask the question, but like how many more episodes is Odo a human being? Do you remember? I don't. I, my experience of this poor, you know, the rest of deep space nine is nowhere near as, as deep as my experience of TNG or early deep space nine. Yeah. So, uh, to some extent, we're we're sailing into waters that are uncharted for both of us. How I, long would you prefer that period to be? I mean, I think it makes for a very interesting character arc that I could see lasting the entire season or more than a season and being a compelling motivation. Like, does he try and embrace his new status or does he try and get it back or what? I agree with you. I hope the runway is long with this. It makes me wonder if the creators behind the show feel like it may be derivative of a data becoming human or using an emotion chip type of storyline, though. Like, I wonder if that is a reason to be reluctant to go in that direction for as long of a time. Yeah, I don't know. I I wish I had something more uh, specific to say about it. I'm glad you don't, and I'm I'm happy to not have the surprise spoiled. It, um, I think we're just wondering out loud yeah. about the possibilities here. Let me worry about that. The conversation between Cisco and Odo is cut short because they have to run up to the bridge of the Bird of Prey where another Bird of Prey has kind of like pulled them over, and Gul Dukat is kind of bragging on his ability to trick Klingons into believing that they're talking to another Klingon. When he gets on the on the radio, and uh, turns out their hollow emitters have uh, have busted, 
which I thought would have been a really fun special effect to see Dukat and Damar like transmogrify into Klingons, right? Under under hollow emitters and and talk to these other Klingons, but uh, in the broken down condition of their ship. Dukat determines that it is easier to kill these Klingons than try to lie to them. This scene really hit me where it hurt because I feel like this happens most of the time. I try not to brag about anything in my life, but I feel like the few times that I have, it's always backfired or been broken. Like the thing the thing that I'm trying to make look cool. And this is totally what Dukat's doing. He's like, guys, you're going to love how we do this. We've got this hollow emitter. I look like a Klingon. We fake him out. And the other guys look super stupid. Check it out. Watch this. Watch what? Dukat has just been in the ball kicking machine for a couple of seasons now, right? Yeah. In a way that he is he's great at. Like they're gonna give him his fangs back at some point, right? He is fun and funny to watch when he is super dangerous and also when he is on his knees. Like that's that's the he's strength of the ways. character. Yeah. Yeah. But they get to Taigo Core, which is the uh the military well, we should mention that that when the hollow emitter fails, Dukat shoots first and just removes the threat of being found out right then and there. Yeah, the Starfleets are not excited that he chose that. <laughs> Worf doesn't even like yell to the sky. No, no. But uh, you know, he doesn't know if those are actual warriors over there or what. Yeah, that's true. They uh, they get to Tygo Core. And uh, they kind of say their their goodbyes to Dukat. And in saying their goodbyes, he's like, hey, uh, just uh, FYI, I am not giving you a ride home like we talked about. And they're like, what? <laughs> and he makes a good point. He's like, hey, like, if you do, if you're successful with your mission, then great. Like, the Klingon Empire will go back to being friends with the Federation and you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> and... If not, like, you're not going to be around for me to come pick up. So I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to drive around the block a few times waiting for you guys to do this. It's so stone cold logical and, like, it's airtight, too. Yeah, nobody can argue with it. It's amazing because you were you were describing Dukat as great to watch either in a weakened state or at a powerful state. But another element to him is that he's almost a genius at all times. Yeah. And this is an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Dukat's always one of the smartest characters in the scene. Yeah. And he definitely carries himself as that at all times too. That's part of what makes him uh, irritating. Yeah. His, his condescension. I haven't survived this long by being sloppy, Mr. Worf. So there's an exterior here that shows some, some like space stations and ships and then they arrive and they're in like a big, a big hall with like braziers and, and like barrels of wine and statues of Klingon warriors and stuff. Did you, did you get the sense that that was down on the surface of the planet or is that in one of the space stations? Until you asked the question, I thought it was on the planet surface just because like Worf mentions that this is a place that has been hollowed for, I don't know, like centuries, like like he can smell the ancient blood on the floor of this place. That just read to me as something that would not be yeah. a space station. The space station would be too new for something like that. Yeah, I guess so. 
pretty awesome set with the uh, with the Hall of Warriors statues and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I thought nicely it nicely done. I thought it was well done. There's uh, dozens and dozens of Klingon extras in this scene. They're all slamming foreheads and singing Melota and hanging out. And uh, the you know the gang has learned their Klingon portrayal skills well enough to to blend in. They they've they've all taken like some some like pill that helps them process the alcohol and Klingon blood wine because part of the deal here is that there's like a there's like a challenge to being where they are, <laughs> which is like drink and stay up all night and then be like sober and ready to receive the honors that the chancellor is going to convey upon you in the morning. Worf gives the away team a, a pile of silver packets and he's like, these are broad. You must take <laughs> two pills at the beginning of your drinking and then two when you go to bed. <laughs> that is how a warrior parties. <laughs> They do that fun passage of time uh, edit where they they uh, they angle on the keg of blood wine and then dissolve to a lower level keg of blood wine. I know <laughs> that is that is so cheesy in most other contexts, but I just loved it here. It was great. Yeah, big fan. And the idea is that they uh, they are processing this alcohol at a superhuman rate. Uh-huh. But by the time that the the level is as low as it is, General Martok shows up at the party, and this is a big record scratch for the infiltration team. Right. Because they've all interacted personally with General Martok, and he's actually a person who's in a position to recognize them and call them out for the inter- infiltrators that they are. So... uh we talk a lot in this episode about how Odo has been made a solid, but uh, Martok walks up to the chief and says, like, don't I recognize you? And I think I think if you listen closely, you can hear the chief make a solid. <laughs> it's great. It's a nice bit of uh, it's a nice bit of trickery because the entire away team is is so afraid of Gowron making them. They never imagine that it'll be Martok that does. I thought that it was like it it's a great scene and like and it's the right thing like the the all of the fear that it it provokes when they realize that they didn't consider Martok but I just wondered like like Worf is has got to be like one of the most famous Klingons right and he has not changed his loaf or changed his look in any way he's just got a lot more hair than we're used to seeing it's insane. Worf is a dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. Like Worf it was instrumental in Gowron's rise to power. He's like the eldest son of one of the great houses. His brother recently disappeared under very mysterious circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is bad. They Worf shouldn't even be there. You can make the case that... that Anyone would be better in this scene than Worf. Yeah. 
They're better without him. But they have to get their pattern enhancers hidden around the periphery of the room, and they use these statues to to do it. So they're all kind of like trying to, to trying to like secrete the 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 little golden spheres in the like up up high on the statues, and uh, Odo drops his, and uh, it like rolls across the room and bumps into the foot of a Klingon warrior who's like, what the fuck is this? Uh, Worf's improvisation here is great. Yeah. He jumps right in the middle of the scene and uh, and makes the case that this is a Vulcan toy that they that they took off of a Vulcan that they murdered yeah. earlier. And Odo has been kind of like frozen. And then when he is given any premise to work off of, he's like good enough to yes and it and like, Right. And like and and see the deception through to its conclusion. Uh which is great. Like it's it's uh He's a real not Adam in that uh in that he will just <laughs> in the sense that uh he won't just ignore being pimped into doing Kern, for example. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know you Odo's know not this- gonna disappoint the listeners. <laughs> At the only obvious Kern joke opportunity in the episode being ignored. You've seen this a thousand times in a thousand different movies. Like there's always the weak link in any heist. And Odo is that and then becomes that in this scene. But you also know from those thousands of movies that that is a character that often achieves redemption. Yep. It's Martok that triggers both, actually, because Martok, uh, after recognizing Cisco arrests the group and throws them in jail. Klingon jail, the worst kind. Yeah. I thought, I thought that it was like a little bit badly directed or blocked or something. Cause, cause Martok, because Gowron walks in, right. And there's like, they're playing like hail to the chief and everything. And he's doing fist bumps with everybody. And it shows Odo going and like sticking the, the sphere up in the, in the statue and then there is like a solid three minutes of pomp and circumstance of of Gowron walking around and like giving awards to people and shit well we're like what's going on like why aren't they triggering it and then they cut back to Odo and show him getting the the sphere up into the statue again yeah uh that's not the only time in this episode where sequentially shit gets a little bit fucked and drags yeah. Drags for time. Yeah, like there should be a ton of tension in this part of the episode of like, uh, yeah, like I know that this guy's getting his like Batleth honor or whatever. I don't care. Like cut back, show me what's going on with Odo. I want to see the thing happening. And like that, like that tension is not present. It feels like, uh, you know, sometimes on SNL, they will not have enough time to run an entire sketch. And so they'll cut it. And then they will play the beginning of the credits music and then like hang on that. Yeah. With the with the slate before going into the goodbyes. Like it felt like there are a couple of sequences here that are just placeholders because they couldn't quite fit the entire scene that they wanted to. Yeah. Into the episode. It's weird. It's really I wonder weird. what we're missing. I I I wondered as well, like, and Cisco drops the personal shaving device that is supposed to trigger the 
the pattern enhancer and and then they're made, right? Like they're yeah. Gowron recognizes Cisco, Martok has him in jail and Martok they're in like a they're in like a bird cage and Martok like kicks out the guards and he's like, "Guys, like what a bozo move. Like what are you <laughs> trying to do here?" And they realize like, "Oh, like Martok might have his own suspicions about Gowron." Right. And maybe we can work with him. And it turns out to be the case. Like Martok is like, yeah, I've known I've known for months that that Gowron did not seem to be acting right. Like he was kind of he was kind of a dove before and now he's really hawkish, but he keeps kind of getting us into military engagements that don't go well for the Klingons. And it goes a long way toward explaining why the Klingons would not just kind of run roughshod over the Cardassians. Like, in what world do the Klingons, the warrior race, not just, like, kick a ton of ass in any war they choose to get involved in? Yeah, it's interesting. The Klingons kind of have a two-man rule here, don't they? Yeah. Interesting bit of restraint. Would not have expected. So they're like, yeah, like, here's the deal. Gowron is a changeling, and if you can help us get him exposed, like, we we can get everything, you know, we can set everything right. And he's like, all right, I'm going to help you do it. But like, I'm not personally going to kill him. Like, that's not my, that's not my way. Martok's like, you know, those props that we spent a lot of time and money creating, uh, I destroyed those. So we're not going to be able to see that idea through to the end. Yeah. I am a loyal officer of the empire. Good one, Martok. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, dude. Uh, But he, he lets them out. He like, he uh, shoots one of the guards with a disruptor. Cisco takes care of the other. There was a really exciting disruptor special effect. Yeah, with, with that one guard, it really felt plussed up from what we've seen previously. It felt analogous to like if all you have is a gore gun, and if you could somehow set that to stun. Yeah, it, like it did not completely gore the guy out that they were shooting, but you could see inside him. Yeah, that was fun. It was really. Well done. And then they like walk down the hall and he like just gut stabs a couple of guys. But then they're out back into the hall of warriors or whatever it is. And there is Gowron. And that's the bad guy. Like, let's kill the bad guy. But uh, we get a little bit of a twist at him. If this traitor wants a fight, I will give him one. It's fun and right that it's Worf, right? Yeah. Like Worf is the guy that challenges him to a duel Gowron is game, and they do the uh, they do the Michael Jackson beat it video. Yeah, like they they tangle it up. Yeah, like Klingons are really fun in that you can like you can like go at a guy with a sword, and he'll tell all of his security to like back off. I want to yeah. like I want to actually fight this dude. Yeah, but uh, mid fight, Odo slams Martok through the saloon doors. Of the Hall of Warriors. Yeah, because Martok has kind of like isolated Odo from the whole proceedings, right? Right. And, uh, and off to the side, Odo, much in the, same, much in the same way that he suspected that Gowron was the changeling, has actually put it together using his detective skills. Detective skills that have not gone away since he's become human, and I think that's crucial, right? 
Yeah, I, I think, think that that's kind of what the the episode arc is for him is Agreed. Like, yeah. while you've lost a thing that you thought was crucial to yourself, the thing like like your central character trait as Odo is your investigative abilities and that has not been diminished at all. You don't have to open a brewery, Odo. There are plenty of breweries out there. You don't even need to order a home brewing kit for your apartment. I insist. Do not order a home brewing kit. No one wants to smell that. <laughs> morn, morn, sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. No one wants a closet full of your stinky beer. Yeah. They. So it turns out Martok is the changeling, and Odo kind of runs him into the room. Martok tries to tentacle Odo to death, but uh, the Klingons all turn around and whip out their pistols and unload like a predator amount of gunfire at the changeling. It's a real communal execution, right? Yeah. And it really takes a lot of blast to kill a changeling. Like we we saw Odo die in the uh, in the mirror universe, and it was just like one phaser to turn him into smuckers. Odo does not have a firearm in this scene, so he can't be accused of having a second body right on on his count. No. Yeah. Well, that Which would kind of be double bad. indemnity in the changeling world, right? I think that's a record that would never be broken if Odo killed his second changeling. Yeah, just get a little insurance on the on the <laughs> on the record. That would be awesome. Yeah, this changeling blows big. Pretty disgusting death scene here. I think the low point in the episode, and I'm going to say the low point in the season, a season that's just started, is the most worthless line of dialogue ever being uttered by Ben Sisko in this scene. Really? I don't know if you remember. They're, I, they, so Odo pushes Martok into the scene, outs him as a changeling, then they shoot him, and then Cisco says, I guess we found out who the changeling was. <laughs> like, unnecessary hat, Cisco. We yeah. know. Yeah. But it turns out, like, the, so Odo had fingered Gowron because he could tell that the changelings were trying to conceal something from him when he yeah. went for his swim in the piss planet. And it turns out that they were tricking him into thinking Gowron was yeah. the the changeling when it was really Martok, which is a fun trick for the writers to have pulled. I wondered, I wondered if they knew that when they wrote the last episode of season four or if they figured, out when they figured it out when they broke the first episode of season five. Yeah, they were... They were playing swim up piss pool chess when Odo <laughs> thought they were playing swim up piss pool checkers. <laughs> the, Sometimes uh, you just don't want to leave the pool. Yeah. Ben? Yeah. They have a, a, a quick conversation with Gowron uh, where they say, like, yeah, you know, like this was uh this was a great operation. I'm really glad we got the the changeling influence out of your government. Uh if you could stop the Klingon war now, that would be great. And he's like, no, 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 that's not how Klingons roll. Like now that the war has started, I'm going to see it through. And they're like, no, seriously though. Cause like, it's exactly what the founders wanted. And if you continue to do the war, you're playing directly into their hands. He's like, all right, well, I'll see what the high council says, but 
I'm not making any promises. I'd appreciate that. This is another scene that makes me think that there's something missing and they're stretching for time because this denouement is super long and ambling, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of this persuasion of Gowron to pursue a diplomatic recourse here. Hmm. And then and then we cut to the makeup being taken off and that's it. It felt like it felt like a minute too long. It felt like there needed to be something else going on here. Did yeah. you feel that way? I think the way I interpreted it was they needed Gowron to stay as an unknown quantity for some yeah. reason. And this is how they explain that away. It's hard. I may be just holding this episode up to a standard that that is unfair because I guess I was a, I was hoping for a real like gavel throw into the ground. Like this is season five. Like uh-huh. this is how we're going to end the first episode of it. Like we're going to really like begin and finish strong. And right. it felt like it ended like most other Deep Space Nine episodes. Yeah, it did not feel like a like a big like like everything is different now kind of yeah. kind of ending. Yeah, this was not Deep Space Nine Eleven. <laughs> I'm such a weasel. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, I did. I thought it, I thought it was a I thought it was a good, not great episode. I agree. There are such fun aspects to it, like the makeup stuff. With uh, with Cisco and O'Brien and Odo, great fun. I love a room full of Klingons fighting and partying. That's yeah, great. Totally. I love the mythology of that. Of like, you gotta get drunk and then you gotta hold it together for the ceremony the next day. That's the whole point. Yeah, that is a very Star Trek convention kind of kind of thing, isn't it? Totally. I just wish they'd all had plastic hooves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but what we don't get is a, boy, season five is going to be crazy, right? I just don't get that that sense at this moment in time. But maybe as season five continues, that's something that we'll uh, begin to appreciate. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, one thing we appreciate every episode are our priority one messages. You want to see what we've got, Ben? I do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature. Wow. It is from newtonpens.com, and the message goes like this. Okay, and in parentheses it says, I would love it if you did one of your impressions, but I don't know which would be funniest. Well, we'll just see what happens. We never had the current impression this episode. Message goes like this. If you don't have a singing stone for talking to your pen pals or a fancy pen like Jake on DS9, then it's clear. You need a pen of DeSoto. (laughs) Whether you're writing your first novel or putting notes in the lunchboxes of your tiny little life forms, a handcrafted fountain pen makes it all better. Visit newtonpens.com and order yours right now. And if you go to newtonpens.com to purchase a pen... Or help support the... Oh, so there's a scholarship fund here, too. So uh, you can support the scholarship fund by going to newtonpens.com, and you get 10% off through 2019 by mentioning Pens for Disco when you get in touch with them. I guess there's an offer code or a, a field where you could enter that in. 
and uh, that triggers that 10% off. And yeah. also helps out with their scholarship fund. So visit newtonpens.com, get yourself those fountain pens, apply for high school scholarships, or support someone uh, in that endeavor. I'm looking at these pens. They are very eye-catching. I feel like that, uh, that would be a great way to, uh, to have a signature pen. Wow. And support Friends of DeSoto at the same time. They've uh, they've got some uh, some video footage of this pen making. Looks like dirty work. You know, you you put together one of these pens in the wrong way, they're they're exploding ink everywhere. Oh yeah. You don't want that. You be careful. Yeah, they're 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 turning these pens on a lathe. It looks like. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now, now when you're constructing your scholarship pen, <laughs> what I like to do is take six feet of prime Douglas fir, <laughs> put it in my lathe, and turn it for between three and four hours. You'll generate 40 to 50 pounds of waste material <laughs> and one single pen at the end. <laughs> We're gonna rub some mineral oil on this pen to bring out the lustrous wood grain. <laughs> and we're gonna burn the waste material in a heap outside the shop. <laughs> That's newtonpens.com. Making pens and changing lives since 2012. Wow, that's super duper cool. Yeah. Just go to the website and check out the footage of making pens. It's really interesting. Did you know there was a pen show? There are, on the Newton Pens website, Ben, there is a schedule of pen shows. Wow. Pen shows. I mean, I knew that there was a Pen 15 club. Right. But uh, I did not know that there was a there were there were conferences and expos. Well, you know, Newton Pens needs to make a Pen 15 edition. You know, that would be a hot seller. <laughs> yeah. I guess now they would have to license it from that Hulu show. <sighs> Missed opportunity. Yeah, I really like that Hulu show. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you to Newton Pens for supporting the greatest generation. Uh, we have another P1 here. It's from Mike, and it's to Ben and Adam. It goes like this. I discovered your pod last year while going through a layoff and a breakup. <laughs> Fuck, Mike. I mean- you were like living inside of a country song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still trapped in anybody canyon. I'm gainfully employed again and wanted to say thank you for keeping my spirits up. I'm also curious to know if Kevin expect, accepts promo code SCARVES at checkout for Friends of DeSoto seeking Jamaharone on a budget. Uh, well, Mike, uh, I, I do accept the promo code SCARVES. I provide a 10% discount, but... Even with that generous discount, I cannot say that my product is appropriate for a small budget type of operation. And not to immediately... <laughs> not, to, not to immediately contradict what I just said, but there is no <laughs> offer code to fit my, <laughs> to fit my discount. LAUGHTER I did not, uh, I did not pay any attention when I took classes at the Groundlings. <laughs> I was asked to leave on my third day. I kept advocating for the Herald to be called the Kevin. 
Zero traction for that idea. We're not working in an auto body shop. We're working at a fast food restaurant. <laughs> that was always my line when I came into a scene. <laughs> if you want to pimp us into doing an impression or have a message of a commercial nature, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jobotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are a great way to help the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVS. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVS for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVS. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. 
stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! This was a great episode for background acting. There are a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes where you get that long tracking shot over the promenade and you get maybe six background actors in a shot like that. But this scene in the Hall of Warriors has got 25 background Klingons. Yeah. And there are so many of them making funny faces. (laughs) And like you're taught as a background actor not to do anything that attracts attention. But I feel like the direction in a scene involving Klingons is totally contradictory of that. Yeah. Because what you want to do is headbutt and and make crazy faces and swill your blood wine. Like everyone is acting so big in the background of these scenes <laughs> that it was hard for me to choose a specific Shimoda, but I know he's back there. I know I saw him a couple of times. Uh, that background actor who's having the most fun is my drunk Shimoda. Like I, what a, it is so great to just be given free range back there as a background actor. I I know it had to be a thrill for so many of them uh, to get that kind of license. So that's going to be my Shimoda this episode. What about you? My Shimoda is General Martok. Uh, (laughs) There's the hallway set that exists only so that there can be a spot outside of the Hall of Warriors where Martok like holds Odo back and Mm -hmm. keeps him out of... And it's like, it's that moment of like, oh, we all decided to go to a nightclub and my friends walked right past the bouncer and then he stopped me and I was like, oh, I was with them. And, you know, it's like it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. But Martok has Odo uh, uh, under the gun in that, in that and it's like, oh, like wh- that's why this room exists because before that, <laughs> I was like, why does this scene exist where Martok is just walking down a hallway and sticking knives into the get- guts of two guards? <laughs> so great. <laughs> so for uh, for being double knives Martok, he becomes my drunk Shimoda for the episode. So much is made of the royal guard for Gowron. Yeah. You could assume that these guys work for them. You would think that their armor would be such that a couple of short quarter stab wounds wouldn't kill them. Yeah. This would have been a fun episode to have a, like a special looking Klingon. Yeah. Like, 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 like those red guys in, uh, in, in Star Wars that hang around with the emperor, you know? Yeah. Give us a couple of, uh, of Captain Phasmas or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. That would be cool. Well, what is next week going to give us as far as episodes go? Uh, there's only one way to find out. That's by consulting the Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is Season 5, Episode 2, The Ship, <laughs> a severely injured crew member's life, hangs in the balance as Cisco battles for control of a crashed Jem'Hadar warship.
This show is getting worse at titles, isn't it? <laughs> it's not getting better. Wow. That sounds like fun. Let's see how we're going to watch it, Ben. Uh, currently, we are on square 38 on the Game of Buttholes, which, as you can probably tell, was a regular episode of Greatest Gen. Yeah. And uh, and I don't think anything is in range. Yeah, this is the rare safe square. No matter what we roll, we're, we're doing a normal episode next time. Right. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Uh, so here goes the roll. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. And I have rolled a five, which places us on square 43. Wow. Uh, which is three away from a Coco Nono episode. Wow. All right. Yeah. There it is. Well, uh, looking forward to next week's normal ass episode. In the meantime, if folks would like to support the show, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Uh, we really appreciate the monthly support that we get from thousands of friends of DeSoto. You could be one of them. It is just a click away. They make the whole thing possible. Our best friends of DeSoto do. And uh, we thank you for your support. Yeah, and you get access to lots of bonus content if you do that. Hey, guess what? There's a free way to support the show. Couldn't be easier. You just go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-thing review. Yeah. Whatever Some... whatever mechanism by which you recommend a podcast on your podcatching app, do that. Use the hashtag GreatestGen if you want to talk about the show on Twitter. Adam's on there at CutForTime. I'm on there at BenjaminAHR. You can also catch the hilarious trading cards made by Bill Tilly. You may have noticed the great music on our show. You know that's made by Adam Ragusea. He uses source material uh, made possible by Dark Materia. And uh, he is one of the reasons why the show sounds so good. Indeed he is, Adam. You're the other reason, Ben. You're the that, other reason. That that golden voice. <laughs> that golden pea-soaked voice. <laughs> <laughs> glug, glug. Uh, that'll, that'll just about do it from here. We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which will seek to retitle the episodes going forward. <laughs> what? What do you oh, think no. about that? Is a What do you think about that as a regular thing? Maybe we'll title the episode. Fuck. We'll both title our podcast episode and the title that it should have been for the show. Damn. It's a lot of work. Let's just try to do that next time. Okay. I don't. I don't want to make any promises Fair. for the rest of the show. Yeah, I mean, we don't. We wouldn't want to start a situation where we routinely disappoint our listeners. <laughs> yeah, we already do that yeah. every week. <laughs> Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.